Welcome to IAQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed. from and welcome to indoor air quality radio iaq radio for friday may 3rd 2013 this week episode 283 comes to you from studio d in central city pennsylvania my name is radio joe hughes here with me in the studios and at the control is our engineer roxy v val bender hi everyone Joining us from Studio C is the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. Hello, Cliff. Hey, it's a beautiful day in Pittsburgh, Joe. Uh, good to be working with you and Val and, and our guest and our listening audience today. Excellent. Good to have you on. Of course, our uh, technical director, Dr. Dietrich Wow, may or may not be joining us. He's in Belize this week. Uh, Dieter's out looking at some ruins, so we may not have him. Anyway, today's segment, segments include an inter- interview with John Otero. John is with Tess uh, what is it? Thermal Energy Systems, I believe it's going to be. I'll double check on that in just a minute, though. And uh, John is uh, going to join us. We're going to talk a little bit about heat drying and the new S500 revisions, how it compares with the old one. We'll also, of course, have our halftime, thank our sponsors there, and then go to our roundup. Before we get started, let's thank our marquee sponsors. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at www.johndon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at cleanclenfax.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. All right. To listen to past shows, you can just go to our website, iaqradio.com. There's a link at the top that says go to show. You can either listen streaming or download from there. You can also just listen streaming right from our homepage. Scroll down and click on the favorite show, and it starts to play. We also, of course, can be downloaded from iTunes. We also have ABIH, IICRC, and ACAC continuing education credits. Just email me at joe.hughes at iaqtraining.com. We'll get you out some more details. Last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. Let's turn it over to the Z-Man for today's IAQ Radio trivia question. Thank you, Joe. prize by out-competing fellow IAQ radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IAQ radio trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is very easy. Either email it to 
cslotnick at cs.com, or if you're listening to the show live via your computer, you can text in your answer. Congratulations. To Chuck Rainey, Alpha Environmental in Media, Pennsylvania, who is first to identify the term mycosis to refer to infection with or disease caused by fungi in humans or animals. The IEQ Radio Trivia question for Friday, May 3rd, 2013 has been sponsored by Triska, the Tri-State Restores and Specialty Cleaners Association, who have been serving the needs of and advocating for their members for over 30 years. Triska is your link to industry training, certification, standards, and events. Check out their website at www.trsca.org. Now for today's trivia question. By what name is British inventor and scientist William Thomson better known? Back to you, Joe. All right. Thank you, Cliff. John Otero is the national sales manager for TES, T-E-S, the Thermal Energy Systems. I've got to check on that with John. I'm pretty sure I got it right. I didn't put it in my notes here, Cliff. He has been in the cleaning and restoration industry for over 23 years, 13 years on the restoration side, and 10 years in the distribution of cleaning and restoration equipment. Uh, he was employed with Bridgepoint and Interlink Supply, 11 years with Coit Services, one of the most successful worldwide cleaning and restoration franchises. He's got a great passion for the restoration industry, and that is now being shared through the new technology of direct heat drying and remote field commander. Mr. Otero is a certified um, ASD, Applied Structural Drying, Vortex Drying. He's got several other IICRC certifications and also works with the REACH Drying Academy. In the last two years, he has taught over 150 educational seminars and continuing education credit events to about 3,000 restorers, insurance agents, and adjusters in the United States and Canada, and has also been a speaker at the Connections Convention, the Restoration Industry Association Convention, and several other national conventions. Let's see if we've got some music for John. John, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks a lot. I, I like that intro music. Uh, I would have never guessed that. That was uh, pretty good. I like that. <laughs> Cliff comes up with some Yeah, we ones. try to pick one out every week to kind of fit in with the guest, and we thought it was appropriate. That's it. That's it, guys. Thank you so much for having me uh, on your radio show today. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. And I, I did have it right. It's Thermal Energy Systems. Is, is that right, John? But you go by Tess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's a test. That usually, uh, what the industry knows us is basically test or, or e-test. Yes. Okay. Well, let's get started here. What about this test system? Who invented it? And can you tell us a little bit about the history of the system? I guess you've got both a, a direct. Well, why don't you explain it for people? Yeah, yeah, no problem. Uh, actually, test was uh, invented. Uh, the actual test unit is a, a boiler system, uh, and that was actually designed by uh, Jeremy Reitz. Uh, Jeremy Reitz, uh, him and his father have a, 
a restoration construction uh, company in uh, Sharpsburg, Georgia. And they designed this, and uh, the reason they designed it is they were actually starting to lose uh, market share to uh, the, the larger franchise companies because of the, um, the insurance companies just wanted uh, uh, the franchises because they were using basically the same uh, equipment. So Jeremy realized that, uh, you know, how am I going to separate myself from my competition since everybody is, is using air movers and dehues. And so that's when you started researching into uh, using heat, especially for uh, a direct heat drying. And, um, and that's when you started uh, doing a lot of research and uh, realized that the, the science of actually drying is more based on uh, vapor pressure differentials, which we, we see already in the existing S500 standards and uh, also especially in the new proposed S500 standards, and, and because of that, now he actually had has increased his market share uh, and is growing by leaps and bounds because now he's able to dry structures in half the time of his, his competition in his area. He has less reconstruction, less chance of mold issues, uh, and uh, what, what the insurance companies realized in that area is that um, he actually is saving them money by closing their files quick, quicker, having less ALEs. And, uh, and therefore, um, he then went to Bridgepoint, and as a, since Bridgepoint is a manufacturer, uh, gave them the rights to build uh, and manufacture the test unit. And then from the test unit came the E-test. Uh, and so uh, that's how history was, was made. Let me see if I could paint a little picture here. The, the test is kind of a, goes in a trailer, as I understand it, and that's the I guess you'd call that direct fired, and it's like a boiler basically, where you're you're adding heat to the building uh, from a trailer from the outside. The E test is another; it's an electric system, as I understand it, where you've got an air mover essentially. It looks like attached to a heating unit, a little electrical, I guess, electrical resistance heating unit. Is that somewhat accurate, or can you? Yeah, yeah. So what the uh, test unit is, uh, you're right. It is a boiler system. Uh, runs off of 8 amps and uh, 1.5 to 2 gallons an hour of propane. And uh, there's a glycol uh, solution in the hoses. And what happens is the boiler just basically heats the solution. Solution goes through the lines into a text box. So in the text box, uh, there's, it looks like a radiator. So all the fluid goes through the kind of like the radiator grill. And then an air mover blows the heat into the environment, either heating a room, tinting a floor, uh, tinting carpet, directing uh, the heat into a wall cavity. Um, so it, it essentially is uh, looks like the world's largest hair dryer. <laughs> and uh, so, so the premise is really is, where's your water? How can I get heat to the water? And that'll create faster evaporation. And then the E-test, what, the reason we designed the E-test, uh, which is the electrical thermal energy system, uh, you plug it into a, a 120 unit uh, or a 240, uh, and you're right. It, you put an air mover uh, uh, either on top or through the backside, and we have two versions. And there's heating elements in front of the air movers, and then that air mover blows the heat again to where uh, you want it. So more of the industry uh, in the beginning, obviously, uh, was purchasing the uh, test units, and there still are. Uh, but the popularity of the e-test units is is great, 
just because it's uh, uh, more economical to start out with, um, and you can use it along with all your other uh, drying equipment. So we've got we're applying heat to these wet surfaces. That's going to help get the energy into the surface with the bound water in it, and we're going to create a little vapor pressure differential there. And then what do we do with the the moisture that then becomes a vapor in the air? How do we get that sure. out of the building in general? Yeah, that's a great question. So there is um, – we are – the tests and e-tests are not – in competition with the dehumidifier manufacturers, we actually want you to use your existing dehumidifier. So the the e-test or test creates uh, increases the surface temperature of the wet materials, which increases the evaporation rate, and uh, then your dehumidifier will remove that moist air because dehumidifiers love high humidity or high dew point. That's what they're designed for. So what happens is. Uh, it actually will remove that moist air, or you can use an exhaust to move remove the moist air uh, outside. Which so either way, uh, the the premises get the heat to the wet material that creates evaporation, and somehow either by dehumidification or exhausting, we're going to remove that moist air. All right, Cliff. Well, it seems to me that you know with the two test systems, the E test is portable and more affordable and contractors could have multiple systems you know that they can deploy as needed and that the trailer mounted unit would be uh, you know significantly more expensive so I guess what what my uh, question is is if I was a uh, restoration contractor and I'm just getting started in the business and you know uh, should I write a check for one test unit and whatever additional equipment I would need to operate it or would I be better off buying uh, you know a larger number of air movers and, and dehumidifiers yeah that's a great question you know most of uh, companies getting into the business they're, they're going to buy their dehumidifiers their air movers and probably two or three e-test units. Uh, the companies who are buying the test units um, have multiple jobs uh, going on at the same time, uh, maybe even more difficult jobs. Uh, but why would you use that? There's two advantages of using either one. One, it is cheaper to start out with e-test, uh, more economical to start with. Uh, the test unit, though, does produce more heat than the e-test units. It does also produce less, it uses less power. So an e-test 120 is using two cords at 120, uh, at 12 amps a cord, so you're using 24 amps on two separate circuits, or using a 240. While the test trailer only uses 8 amps and 1.5 to 2 gallons an hour, uh, and so you're also going to get more heat. So there's less amps to be used on, on a test unit. You can use up to uh, six text boxes, so you can use a lot of that in the uh, crawl space. You can use that in the home itself. Uh, and you're making more money. So on a test unit in Xactimate, you're probably making anywhere about $1,700 to $2,000 a day. Um, and the e-test is $225 a day. So let's give you an example. Uh, uh, three e-test units you're making, uh, or four e-test units you're going to be making $900 uh, with the test unit and using uh, uh, six boxes, you're going to make $1,700 to $2,000. Um, 
So that's that is really so when you're when the company's buying a test unit is ones that have been in the business a while, <clears throat> they can use it for residential or uh, commercial. Can I go back and ask a couple of basic questions and and uh, and please correct me if if, if I'm wrong. Could yeah. we could we describe the test? As a you know the, the large the trailer mounted unit is as mm-hmm. this remote boiler, and could we uh, describe the units that hook up to it almost as, as radiators that that would be in the house? And uh, is that accurate? Yeah. So the boiler is sitting outside or in a, a trailer. Right. It's actually very very quiet. And then there's hoses. There's actually two hoses. There's an internal hose and an external hose around it surrounding it. Uh, and the PSI is only going about uh, 40 PSI through uh, the hoses to the text boxes. And then the the text boxes have air movers sitting on top of it, just like an E-test does. And then uh, the fluid's going through the, the boiler or through the uh, text box or the radiator and back to the boiler. So all it's doing is flowing with hot fluid. An air mover is going heat into right. the so, Right, so all all the boiler has to do is deal with uh, keeping the, the the fluid to yeah. the temperature that you want it. It doesn't have to heat the whole building, as in, no. you know, as in, I guess what, as in, if yours is direct, what would the other would would you, the other systems that just pump heat yeah. in? Would you call those indirect? Yeah. So what happens is, okay. uh, well, first of all, let's just look at the basics when. Um, when our wives or our girlfriends take the blow dryers in the morning to heat the air or heat the dry the hair, right. they 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 take the blow dryer and aim the blow dryer to the hair. They don't aim the blow dryer up in the air to dry their hair. Correct. Okay. The room, right, right. So what happens with heat drying is you're just basically heating the room, and we all know heat rises. So if we take a thermal imaging picture, heat will will go to the ceiling. And, and 75% of our jobs are wet from the floor up. So really, in actuality, when we call on a flood job, all we're really concerned about is drying basically two feet off the floor and down. And so with the test unit or E-test, by tensing the floor or floating the carpet uh, or directing the heat uh, to where we want to go, we will dry the structure faster instead of just heating a room up. Unless the ceilings, walls, and floors are wet, in that case, we're going to, you know, you're going to want to uh, heat the whole room. So we can either heat the whole room or we can use the heat and direct the heat. John, what, what's the temperature goal? On your, does it vary or do you have one temperature that you're, you know, you're trying to, if you build a tent, you're trying to heat up the yeah. materials under the tent. If it's the whole room, it's yeah. the whole room. What's the goal? Uh, what what we really want is uh, what we teach at the Reach Drying Academy uh, is to keep the temperature of the air about 95 degrees. But we're not trying to burn a house down. Mm-hmm. So by keeping the temperature of the air at 95 and then we're tenting or floating or containing, uh, the temperatures we want may be 115, 124 on the wet material. Um, you know, it's interesting, guys, when we were at elementary school, the teachers taught us that uh, every time we heat water, it'll create evaporation. What she didn't say is every time we lower the GPPs in the room, it'll create evaporation. So, guys, it's, it's the 
the way we're drawing now, there's nothing wrong with it. We just have to look at drawing structures just differently. And in the existing S500 and the proposed S500 standards, both of them say that by directing the heat to the wet material, that will create a faster evaporation rate. Now, am I, am I correct in saying, John, that that is emphasized more in the new version than it was in the old version, at least the proposed new version? Uh, you know what? You would be surprised uh, how much discussions uh, are in the existing S500 about heat drying. Um, obviously, that is my expertise, so I know that uh, you know we already know where all the subsections are regarding heat. But in the new proposed uh, edition, there is even more. Absolutely, uh, because they're talking about uh, getting energy to. Uh, the wet material and uh, creating a uh, faster evaporation process by heating the wet material, and that's where you, you're t- we're talking about the the new drying standard of constant rate and falling rate. So, uh, uh, go can, ahead, can, can, let me ask you a question. You said constant yeah. rate and and falling rate, and right. I've been a critic of S five hundred and S five twenty. And what's been critical of John is that they make up stuff, MUS made up stuff, and they make up terminology and and so on and so forth. So, is are are these two new terms that you introduced? Is this made up stuff again? No, yeah, no, they're, uh, no they're, you know we've talked with uh, I've had discussions with many of the consensus body on the new S five hundred standards. Constant rate and falling rate is being used outside of our industry in many, many ways, uh, kiln drying, cereal drying, grain drying. Um, it's, it's, there's nothing new. Uh, it's just new to our industry. And uh, in the new proposed S500, um, that's what they are, are, are wanting to, uh, to teach us, is the constant rate and falling rate. Can you quickly define the difference between the two? We'll get back to, I want to finish the test discussion and then go into the S500 more, but let's let's get that while we're at it. Yeah. What was the question? Can you quickly Uh, define define the the difference between constant rate rate and falling rate? Oh, okay. Well, uh, first of all, I definitely recommend uh, the industry downloading uh, the proposed edition on uh, ircrc.org. Uh, because there's a lot of changes in there, but basically, the, the during the, the 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 first stage of drying, uh, surface evaporation uh, occurs at a, a high or a constant rate. So basically, if you if you see a liquid water on the material, that's that's going to be your um, constant rate drying, um, and usually that constant rate drying can come out and go into the falling rate. Uh, it could be within hours. Uh, less than 24 hours, um, and then all of a sudden you fall into the uh, falling rate. And, and, and the falling rate drying is actually uh, what they're proposing is using less air movers and uh, more energy or heat transferred to the materials to create the, uh, the, fall, uh, the, the fastest evaporation rate about uh, from the bound water. So that's when where vapor pressure differential really comes into place. Uh, so they're still they're still wanting you to use conventional drying, uh, and we'll go to that a little bit later. But uh, now they're saying a little less air movers and uh, more heat on that during the falling rate. 
During the following race, yes, sir, Got it. absolutely. Got it. Okay, um, let's go back. And how do they measure, um, you know, whether we're in constant or we're in falling rate? What sort of tool or meter or instrument is used to measure that? Uh, you know, uh, purely this is my opinion, but the, the, that's probably one of the things that needs to be a little bit more defined on that. Um, so we'll call that KW, Kentucky Windage. <laughs> what they what they basically what my understanding is is when there's no liquid water anymore on the surface, uh, that's when it's coming out of the constant rate and going going into the falling rate. And so that, again, that could take that could take hours. It could take ten hours. It just all depends. But what my understanding is is usually within twelve to twenty four hours, you're out of that constant rate and now going into the falling rate. As long as that's, you. That's, that's, in that stage, the falling rate is, is when the focus shifts to increasing the vapor pressure differential through the amount of water removal and the need also for, for air movement decreases. That's on, uh, if you go to, that's on page 153 of the new proposed standards. So it, it does explain it kind of in detail. It just doesn't tell you exactly when it goes from constant to falling rate. And there's no, no, tool that you can use to measure that that's a subjective judgment yes, by the restorer absolutely. okay yes sir okay absolutely and and i think you know that type of subjective judgment is made all the time in other industries so i don't have a major problem with with handling it that way uh, when you say that that occurs within 12 to 24 hours i just want to make sure we we confirm that that is if the rest- restoration contractor has control over the project, control over the water source, and has pretty much completed the extraction process? Is that... Absolutely, okay. yeah. You've, you know, you, you, we're talking, but, you know, they've come in, they've extracted the water, they've controlled it, um, and now they're, they're, they're setting up their equipment, and that's how, how, that's how you start with the constant rate grind. Okay. Cliff, do you want to go back to the test questions here real quick, and then... Then we'll go to our. Uh, yeah, our we break. can, Chuck. Go ahead. You okay. Can start. Um, let's see. Is the test system like a one size fits all technology, or do you have situations that occur where you recommend, uh, you know, some other method or, or using it in a different sure. way? So, uh, in in our drawing, uh, you know, category one, two, and three, really wherever. Well, let's use this question. You guys live in uh, Pennsylvania. So during the winter time, if I told you for 30 days you're not allowed to use your clothes dryer, your hair dryer, or your defroster on your car, you guys would probably be upset for about a month, right? We'd have some problems. And that's because outside of our industry, we all use heat. However, in our industry, we've been taught to use conventional and uh, drawing methods, which there's nothing wrong with it. It's just slower. Uh, and as human beings, we are creatures of habit. And so we have been in the habit of just using air movers and dehues. Um, so wherever you're using air movers and dehues, you can use direct heat drying. The, the principle of category one or two or three is to remove the moisture out of the wet material. So we can use it in category one. We can use it in category two. And on category three, you're, re- you're removing everything, right? you got to take out the drywall and the carpet and so on and so forth, but what's still wet? This is wet framing. So why don't we use heat, get the dr- framing dried faster, 
and then the reconstruction guys can get the home done quicker. Um, so it doesn't really matter what time or what kind of job you have. Your principal, your your main process is to get that dry, that structure dried to pre-loss condition as fast as possible, and that's why test or e-test or direct heat drying can work on any environment and any category. I mean, I agree with you that um, direct heat is going to be more efficient than you know trying to heat uh, you know the entire room. Uh, I I always disagreed with the, the three categories within the S500 of characterizing these these water losses. I had my own three categories, and they were it was a small job, a medium job, or a large job. But other than that, <laughs> uh, go ahead, Joe. Well, let's ask this um, with respect to the test units. You've got these air movers attached to them. Does the air mover used in conjunction with the portable test unit lower the temperature and then, you know, in effect, reduce the efficacy of the drying? You know, it's uh, it's a great question. Um, usually, what happens when uh, when students come to the uh, Reeks Drying Academy, they they're afraid to put the air movers on high because they think they're going to cool the uh, coils down. And, and actually, it's it's it doesn't really affect it at all. Uh, so when let's say, for example, we're either tenting a a floor or floating the carpet. Now, when I say floating the carpet, we're not talking about flapping the carpet. We just want a nice, soft load. And then in the corners of the room, we're pulling back the carpet a little bit for that heat to transfer. But what's amazing is the next day when the students come into the class and they take their thermal imaging camera and they see the sill plates glowing, that's where all the heat is. Because when we're drying conventionally, uh, our nice, warm, dry air is in the ceiling, and our sill plate is always the last part to dry. But by floating the carpet, the sill plates is usually about 120 to 125 degrees. Those sill plates are dried, and that's where all the heat is. So I don't need a large amount of air movement. And the reason why we have been taught to use large air, large amounts of air movement is because we are missing that element of heat. Um, so then... The carpet and pads usually dry in about three to four hours, and then the actual sill plates, drywall structures is dried uh, less than less than 48 hours. So no, there's the, the air movement isn't going to affect the drying. All we need to do is is how do we get the heat to the wet materials? That's really the principle that we need to look at. You know, John, you, you, you use the term you know gentle float or floating the carpet and and. Okay. I agree with you and Jeremy and, and his dad in terms of of floating, you know, whether it's soft or, you know, no one wants to damage the back of the carpet. Are you, is, is S500 still, uh, I guess, as biased as it was against, uh, you know, floating as it was previously? Actually, uh, in the existing S500 standard, it states, that uh, by floating the carpet, uh, it will keep the heat. Uh, acts, it, basically, the carpet acts like a, uh, a, uh, a blanket, and it keeps the heat down. So in the existing S500, it actually tells and recommends by, by floating the carpet, it keeps the heat right directly to the wet material. So it's already in the S500 now. Um, it's just the, the, biggest, the, 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 the biggest push 
funding industry has just changed. I, you know, most of them I've got four or five hundred air movers. I've got DHUs, and now you're telling me that you want me to change how I drive. And they're they're afraid of that if I drive faster, they they lose money. And in actuality, the, the cost of drying in two days is the same cost of drying in four days, um, except your profit margins increase by having to go to the helm less less labor costs, less gas expenses, and your profit margin goes up. Now, I do CE classes around the country for the insurance agents and adjusters, and there's two questions because uh, the title of my presentation is Advanced Drawing. And the two questions adjusters always ask me and agents is this, how long has TAS been around, and why am I learning about this now? Because they are, to them, it makes perfect sense. Heat the material, dry the structure faster. And why don't you answer that first question for us? How long has it been around? Uh, it's been around since '05, uh, 2005. Okay, and that's the test system. Now, heat that's drying, though, yes. people have been using heat to dry buildings for, I would imagine, <laughs> since construction, since people have been drying buildings. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I, I, absolutely. The, the biggest thing is that is, is the two biggest manufacturers have always been DHUs and, and, and air movers and not heat. So, and they've they've been teaching how to draw with that. But yes, I mean we've been drawing. We drive basically everything in with heat. Um, so and it works once you use it. Once you you're taught about that, and especially with the new proposed S five hundred, you're going to have to learn about it because that is a big part of the falling rate and, and constant rate drawing. Okay. Uh, John, give us a minute here. We're going to take a 90-second break. We've got to thank And then we'll be back. So please we'll hang on the line, John. Right you got it. Thank you, John Otero. Otero, get it right there, Joe, is the <laughs> National Test uh, Thermal Energy Systems Sales Manager. Uh, interesting discussion on his product at the first half. The second half, we'll go more into the revisions to the IICRC S500. Thanks to our association sponsors, the Indoor Air Quality Association, IAQA, a nonprofit multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at www.iaqa.org. And thanks to our advertisers, Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor software technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Learn about them at legends-enviro.com. And, of course, our marquee sponsors, Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop 
visit them at www.johndon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at clean, C-L-E-A-N-F-A-X.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. All right, we're back for the second half of our interview with John Otero. He's with the Thermal Energy Systems National Sales Manager and uh, TESS for short. And we talked a good bit about the product earlier in the conversation. For the second half, John, I'd like to get back into the S500 a little bit more. Um, do we have you back, first of all? Yes. Yeah, great. absolutely. Great. All right. In the first half, we did, you know, kind of go into the S500 a little bit because it's hard to discuss drying without talking about it. And we did get clarified that it does allow for the use of heat drying, even though I've, you know, I've seen a lot of complaints from certain people in the industry that are big heat proponents stating that it didn't allow that. And I'm, I just wondered... Why do you think there's that disconnect? You seem to feel, hey, it did allow it. Others seem to feel like it didn't or maybe that it just didn't really stress it enough. What do you think? Well, uh, in, the, in the existing S500, if, you know, our job is to, you know, go by the guidelines. And, uh, you know, you, you look at page 52, subsection 12.1.22.23, uh, there's actually a lot of areas where it talks about uh, having direct heat. Um, in addition, the actual definition that they used um, uh, for psychometric uh, readings is to, they're, they're, they've explained it as lowering, the, the restored needs to lower the vapor pressure of the air so the wet material comes out of the out of, uh, out of the, the vapor pressure has to be lower than the uh, vapor pressure of the material. The only way to increase the, uh, to get the moisture out of the materials, you've got to raise the vapor pressure of that material. And the only way to increase vapor pressure is to add energy or to add heat. So there is a lot of, uh, of uh, existing data uh, and promotion of the F500 about heat drying now. Uh, in the new F500, it'll, it is a lot more than it was before. Okay. So it's essentially, it's, it's, implied in some areas and and directly stated in others i guess maybe the complaint from some heat drying proponents in the industry was that it overemphasized the other way of drying which is to essentially use air movement dehumidification clothes drying um so maybe that's where maybe that's where some of that uh, discussion comes from i'm not sure cliff anything you wanted to comment on that well, yeah, I'd like to get your opinion. You know, uh, you know, in the old S five hundred and and the common term utilized within the industry in a lot of training courses and on exams and 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 so on and so forth was essentially creating these drying chambers. You know, like within a room, and, and certainly I understand this tenting idea, and I think it makes you know a lot of sense because. And you take the the resource that you have and and you uh, fine tune it and and focus it on in, into where it's really really needed. What's your opinion on this? You know, drying chamber terminology and you know turning these rooms into drying chambers and things like that. 
Well, again, the you know, it, it just every as you guys know, you've been in the industry a long time. Every job is going to be completely different, and uh, and that's that's great. Um, what we need to focus on, what we teach at the Reach Drying Academy is, is guys, where's your water, uh, and how can we get heat to the water? I mean, it's really that simple. And uh, when you look at it that way, uh, the, the the industry has been taught to keep track of the GPP keep track of the relative humidity, temperature of the air. And here's what's interesting, guys, is the way we're drawing now, which, again, there's nothing wrong, is we've been taught to lower the GPP in the room. And when we lower the GPP in the room, the dew point is also being lowered. When we do that, the dehumidifiers are actually pulling less moisture out of the air. Okay? Now, every dehumidifier manufacturer has to measure their dehues according to AHAM, which is 80 degrees air temperature and 60% relative humidity. However, when you look at the two other manufacturers who make DHUs, they also do testing at saturation, which is 90 degrees air temperature and 90% humidity. And at that point, what happens is their, their uh, pints per removal is actually increased. For example, one dehumidifier pumps out 163 pints at AHAM, but at saturation, where it's 90 degrees in the room and 90% humidity, they're actually pulling out 263 pints. So what does that mean? By putting more temperature in the air and relative humidity, your dehues are actually going to increase because when you heat the material, that increases the GPP in the room. When that increases the GPP in the room, your dew point also goes up, which means your dehumidifiers actually perform better than they were at uh and lower temperatures. John, let me ask a question here. Do you think the we've covered Hurricane Sandy in detail here? I mean, we've had probably four or five shows on Hurricane Sandy, and oftentimes the commentary we get back from those in the field that were either doing mold remediation or were water damage guys that were in their, you know, drying buildings or IEPs, more, more of the IEPs, the indoor environmental professionals who were, you know, kind of overseeing all this, they were commenting how traditional drying with air movers and dehumidifiers just was not working and, and was not getting the job done because there was no electric, there was no heat, there was no uh, HVAC system to help with making sure the building had some heat. Uh, it was a tremendous problem. Are you, I assume you're seeing a surge in interest in that area of the country for the type of product you're selling? Uh, yeah, we actually had a lot of our uh, test owners over there. Um, and uh, what's, what is nice about let's use the test unit is one, we're only using eight amps and then you're using air movers in those test units. So the amperage is very low, so you can use, uh, you don't need a large dehumidifier, as well as you can exhaust the moist air. So you, instead of using dehumidifiers, we're heating the environment, and because we're heating the environment, that was creating evaporation, and then we were exhausting that moist air out. So there, there's ways of, you know, there's tools for every job, However, in, in those cases, you're absolutely right. What In my research as well, a lot of the restoration companies were just depending on air movers and dehues because that's all they had and that's all they knew about. But the guys who had heat was drying structures very quickly and, and, and very well. Cliff, anything you want to add? Yeah. Um, in in the, the, the next um, S5 
500 in the revision, um, do they still advocate, um, you know, how many pieces of equipment need to be, you know, installed in a room and, you know, how many linear feet per air yeah. mover and so on and so forth. Is that stuff still in there? Yeah, so so the existing S500, what they, what they had stated is one air mover every 10 to 16 linear feet. What it didn't say is, what do you do with the areas if the walls are wet and the ceilings are wet? It never did say how many air movers to use. And in the proposed S500 on page 51, uh, line 47, I'll actually read it to you. It says, in most residential and small commercial projects, restores should use one air mover for every 65 to 85 square feet of floor space with the with the minimum of at least one air mover per affected space during the constant rate initial drying stage to accomplish the needed airflow. And you can add one air mover uh, to include bay area windows, hallways, rooms, insets, or offsets. So if you have a closet. So according to the proposed standard, let's use a, a, a 10 by 10 or 11 by 11 room, one air mover every 65 to 85 square feet. That means two air movers. Now, in the existing S500, they would have four air movers. So now we're cutting air movement, but, you know, in our testing, Jeremy Reitz had did some testing on these new proposed standards, uh, and it took longer to dry the structure with less air movement, uh, according to what they're recommending, than, than the existing S500. So in my opinion, my opinion only, this we need to we we I personally would like to see some data on how did we get to those those standards? How did we say, well, we've been doing this for since 2006 and beyond of putting an air mover every 10 to 16 feet. Now you're going to put an air mover every 65 to 85 square feet. Now, if, in addition, I will say that on on page 52. Uh, it's on line one, it says here, uh, in class three water intrusion, restorers should add air movers to ensure sufficient airflow across the wet surfaces. One air mover every 150 square feet of wet wall and ceiling. So now they're saying on a class three, not class one or class two, what they're saying in class three is we'll give you another air mover for every 150 square feet of wet wall and ceiling. Yeah. So now, Go ahead, I'm sorry. That's okay, go ahead. This specificity within the document just absolutely drives me crazy. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> you know the, the most important thing on the job is the technician, and mm-hmm. everything else is really secondary. If you have a knowledgeable guy with minimal resources, sometimes even not enough resources, he will do a better job than a less knowledgeable technician with more equipment, you know, and I, I don't know, I, I just, uh, you know, you have to get all these people to agree on it. You have all this consensus, you have all this like made up stuff and you know, the document grows in size and it grows in complexity. And, you know, and, and I think very much of this stuff is, is very, very simple. And I think Jeremy's right on in, in terms of, you know, what he's doing and, and how he's, doing it and 
it's really not made up stuff because it works. And just unfortunately, you know, I think in, in the old document, it, it just, I, I think we need to go to simplicity, not complexity. Well, here's what's interesting is that, so if you take the uh, S500, existing S500, compare it to the new revised S500, there's about 35 pages missing. Where did those pages go? What happened to all that? I, I don't right? know where they went. and it, it, It's scary <laughs> that none of us were ever able to drive a building without it. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's, and let yeah. me take it to the next level. In, in uh, page 52, line 4... It says when wet flooring areas enter the falling rate for drying stage, air movers should be reduced to one every 100 to 150 square feet uh, on that. And, however, that's when they're saying, however, we need to include uh, and increase the vapor pressure or add energy to the wet material. So, you know, there's... And, and, and again, this is just me speaking, not representing any company. We really need to, uh, if you go to IRCRC.org, there's an area where you can, you really need to, to look at this revision. You need to comment on it because they, we do need to have some revision on the verbiage. And I'll tell you the reason why. We already got a call from one of the major insurance companies to one of the largest franchises stating, according to the new S500, we're only paying one air mover every 150, 100 to 150 square feet. That's it. So tell all your franchises, that's all we're paying. So before the S500 has, this is proposed S500, so it's in a peer review, and before it's even refinished yet, we already have insurance companies saying we're only paying one air mover every 150 square feet. That is going to cause issues among the industry itself. Let me, I have a comment, and it reinforces what you're saying, John, and that is that uh, they're encouraging anyone to get a copy of the new S500, the revi- the proposed revisions, and then fill out the comments, send the form in before May 10th, and that's why we were happy to have this show, because we still have a little time, and, and get your comments in. Now, I also want to make sure that I note that those working on that standard have worked their rear ends off. They've worked really hard. I don't think anybody here is saying that they've they've done a disservice. I just think that that's part of the ANSI process. The American National Standards Institute, the whole idea is that the process opens it up to the industry as a whole, and that by commenting on the proposed revisions, you'll come out with a better standard in the end. So... I, I don't think the people who wrote it are going to, um, you know, obviously it kind of hurts when people say, well, you messed this up or you screwed this up or whatever. But I think they understand that having industry input will make it a better document and certainly better than the first time around when they had no comments at all, which was really a shame. Um, yeah, I, I agree. There's, there's, you know, the, the information that is in there is valuable. I think it just needs, again, in my personal opinion, it just needs to be reworded somehow um, on that. And I would, I personally would like to see the data of how you got, got to these equations because the way we've been drawing has been great. Obviously, there needed to be some revisions because of uh, technology. But um, with, by using less air movement, and, and according to Jeremy's uh, study, we actually took longer to dry. And if we take longer to dry... Uh, it's actually going to cost the insurance companies more money 
because um, uh, we're going to have a lot, lot, lot more uh, reconstruction. It's going to take longer to close the files and a lot more chance of mold issues. Well, let me let me challenge John. That a bit. Well, let me just jump in for yes. a second, John. You know, I think in terms of how many air movers, it really depends where you put them. You know, and, and it, it determines where you install them. And you know, I think one air mover in the installed in the right place, and that is you know underneath carpet, uh, you know, so that you have a float, will do more than ten air movers in the same room that are just sitting on top of the carpet and blowing towards walls. And that's true and false, and I'll disagree with you just in, a, in very lightly, because by putting an air mover underneath the carpet, the, the temperature of the wet material, when, it, when, a, when a building is wet, the temperature of the wet material is actually a little cooler. And when you're putting air movement in there, the vapor pressure of the wet material to the air is very minimal, and your evaporation process will, will take a little longer to drive. Now, to go along with your comment, now if you're using heat underneath the carpet, now you've increased the vapor pressure of the wet material. That will create faster evaporation. In that case, your vapor pressure differential will help, and you will drive the structure faster. We, we do this all the time in our, in our REITs Drying Academy classes. Well, we're, we're, we're doing one room with conventional drying with four air movers, top-down drying like we've been taught, and then another room where we're floating the carpet. Most of the time in that room where we're floating the carpet, and, and, and we're not floating the padding, just floating the carpet, leaving the padding in, right. we're driving 30 hours. And, you know, the, the one thing that I can tell you from my experience, Sean, and from the studies that I've done and, and we've done a few ourselves, is that, you know, without heat, um, we were able to dramatically dry faster with one air mover in the right place than we were with ten in the wrong place. Uh, you know, dramatically faster. You know, without heat. With heat, it's going to be even. You know, with heat, it's going to be even faster. Yeah. And are, are oh, you hey, when you when you're floating the carpet and you're putting air movement underneath the carpet? I mean, aren't you in essence sort of heating that up by allowing the air within the room that's hotter than the surface of the of the material that you're blowing air across? You're recirculating the warmer air underneath there. I think that's part of the reason, at least from my understanding of the process, that that it dries better too, Cliff. You're you're kind of doing both. Well, no, you are. And what happens is we would not uh, segregate that room. You know, we would not do this drying chamber or whatever. We would utilize all the heat that was available to be drawn in from, you know, the the, the rest of the house uh, in, in order to do it. And, uh, you know, the, the one thing that I, I suggest that you tell Jeremy, uh, if he hasn't picked up on this already, is when you introduce smoke during the drying process, you can see a whole lot of stuff that you can't see under mm -hmm. normal circumstances. And right. it'll it'll dramatically surprise you. It, we use it, a lot of thermal imaging uh, cameras to to do our testing, and uh, what we have found when using just air movers is that uh, uh, there's when you're using an air mover underneath the carpet, it, it does dry. Don't I'm not I'm not disagreeing. It does dry, uh, but the the sill plates is is uh, you know 120 123 degrees. That is really what our concern is. It's not about the carpet and pad. It's about the structure. Right. And if we can get that structure faster, that's when we're going to have less issues of 
uh, the mold issues, or and we're going to cut down on reconstruction costs. Well, we're we're running low on time here, John. Real quick question for you: Is an air mover is an air mover defined? We keep talking about air movers. Okay, I've got a little fan here on the back of my computer. Um, you know, we've got many many different types of air movers out there is is it defined are we talking about the same piece of equipment every time we mentioned air mover during this show uh when when we're talking about uh floating the carpet uh, the centrifugal air movers uh and, and the way the e-test is designed it looks like a big air mover but a centrifugal air mover fits into the e-test and, and then you can clamp the carpet and then you've got a soft float uh uh, you know, you have the axial air movers. Uh, again, uh, in, this, in the revised standards, it doesn't say which air mover. It just says use one air mover every 65 to 85 square feet. So it doesn't even tell you which kind of air movers. Well, that's just unbelievable. I mean, come on. <laughs> you know, I put yeah. a fan under my carpet. That's an air mover. I mean, we've got to get we've got to get that straightened out, I would think. But Maybe people just assume that in the industry there's a standard definition for an air mover, and I'm glad I asked because I didn't see it in the standard. I quickly reviewed it, and now you're confirming for me that there is no standard definition for that. So tough to tough to develop a formula when you don't have a standard definition for the key piece of equipment that's being used as a part of this formula. I don't I don't understand that. So yeah, maybe that's uh, a great question. Okay, Cliff. Anything you'd like to? We we didn't even get to go to the roundup, John, because we're we're running at what is it twelve fifty eight. Any final questions for John, Cliff? Um. Other than how would we? How would our um, listeners get in touch with you? Uh, how would they get in touch with with Jeremy as well? So if you could provide your yeah, contact yeah absolutely. information. Um, my uh, my my cell number direct is seven two seven six five seven one five six three. Our website, which we have a lot of training videos for, is www.testdryingsystem.com. T e s d r y i n g s y s t e m dot com. And uh, you can also reach Jeremy, uh, and as well as the, the study he had done for the proposed uh, S500 at the reachdrawingacademy.com. John, let me finish with a quick question on this um, drying, the constant rate and the falling rate. Would you agree that the amount of air movement needed to efficiently dry a building changes when you go from the constant rate to the falling rate? Uh, according to what they're proposing, you're actually going to use uh, their, their standards, one air mover every 65 to 85 square feet and kind of one air mover in the ha uh, hallway or, or closet area. Uh, but then once it goes into the falling rate, they're saying they're proposing one air mover every 150 square feet, but you are going to increase the vapor pressure of the wet material, so you're going to add heat into that environment uh, to get that bounded water out. And by increasing the surface temperature, you have to use energy, or you got to use heat. 
Okay, and once again, we have to define air mover. It's not defined. I, I mean, I've got yeah. people telling me if you, yeah. I've seen great comments from people online saying, "Look, in our in our research, you you just put a, a big oscillating fan in there, and you have a slower air movement in the room, and it actually dries faster during this falling rate period." And, and I would I, love to see the studies on that. I hear you. I hear you. But I don't I don't think we can deny it until we see it. And I don't know that we can. I know for a fact right now after this discussion, without having a defined air mover in that formula, I just don't see how how it can um, pass the mustard with respect to a science. Um, you know, but what is the science behind it? I just I'm, I'm blown away that that's not in there. But I guess that's why we have to make these comments and and try and get everybody working from the same uh same hymnal here, right, right, Val, or whatever it is. Uh, the same. What do you call your music? You, you, uh, the same. The same music sheet, whatever that is. I don't know. I'm not a musician, but anyway, John. Before we go, anything we missed that you'd like to add? Anything that you just want to add? We always like to give our guests the last word. You know what? I really do appreciate your time, guys, and uh, it was great to, to see you at the uh, RIA convention. And uh, hopefully we'll see you over at the experience in uh, Las Vegas. And I will be at the Crawford uh, Convention in a couple of weeks, so hope to see some of you there. John, thanks for joining us. We really appreciate having you on. John Otero, the National Sales Manager for Thermal Energy Systems, the test folks. Really appreciate having him come on and talk a little bit about their method and their equipment for drying buildings and also the changes and the well actually not just the changes the existing and proposed revisions to the iicrc's s500 the professional water damage restoration standard i also want to say thanks of course to the z-man cliff slotnick thanks great show cliff enjoyed it that was a fun show john i really enjoyed it we'll look forward to getting back with you again next week i don't have the guest quite finalized for next week uh by the way those of you that thought barney burrows was going to be on today had a uh, death in the family He'll be back in two weeks from today. Looking forward to that interview as well. I also want to thank Roxy V, Val Bender. Sounds sure, good. Thanks, Even Joe. though I had the computer thanks, all screwed up here and uh, <laughs> pipe, I had things unplugged and everything else, but somehow she pulled it together. Um, of course, I want to thank our growing group of loyal listeners. Thanks for everyone uh, joining us. Come back again next Friday at noon for the next episode of IAQ Radio. You keep lying when you ought to be true then And you keep losing when you ought to not bet You keep saying when you ought to be a chain pen Now what's right is right, but you ain't been right yet These boots are made for walking And that's just what they'll do One of these days these boots are gonna walk all over you This has been another IAQ Radio production.